May 10th, 1962, The Coming of the Submariner. While out on his own, Johnny encounters and helps restore the memory of a fallen hero, Namor the Submariner. When Namor returns to his undersea kingdom and finds it decimated, he assumes the surface world is the cause and unleashes a powerful monster under New York City and the Fantastic Four. Welcome, true believers, to It Started on Yancey Street, a Fantastic Four podcast. Hi, welcome back. Uh, first, before we get started, I want to say thank you for being so patient with uh, this podcast over the last few weeks. Uh, personally, I've had tons and tons of work to do. Uh, a lot of big things are happening for me, uh, both personally and professionally. Uh, so I sadly had to put the podcast uh, on the back burner for a little bit. But uh, thank you to anyone who reached out to me or to the people who commented on like the Reddit posts. Because seeing that you guys are engaged and enjoy this podcast, that only fuels my fire even more. And I'm happy to be back and recording. And I now that I have everything squared away moving forward during these big, big you know professional changes... Uh, I have actually set a schedule for myself so that it doesn't fall behind again. Uh, And we're going to be coming out with more regular episodes. And I believe moving forward, once the, again, I've said it before, once the issues start to condense themselves a little bit, I'll be able to do, you know, two two issues an episode, etc. But again, thank you for being so patient. And let's get started. So this is chapter one on the Trail of the Torch. Ben, Sue, and Reed look out over New York City from their skyscraper hideout, racking their brains about where Johnny's hiding. Ben is still upset with the last interaction him and Johnny had, and he calls him a spoiled brat, and he hopes that he just stays hidden. Uh, Reed, you know, calms Sue down because she's having a hard time hearing Ben talk about Johnny that way, and he tells her Johnny's most likely safe, and the real issue here is Ben, stating that Ben is the reason Johnny took off in the first place. Reed really digs into Ben, reminding him of all the accomplishments that, you know, and the effort that Johnny had put into the team. Reed shames Ben for letting jealousy get in the way of family. And he yells, we're not going to let it end that way. We're going to find that boy, and that means you too, thing. Ben, being the hothead he is, doesn't take well to being yelled at, breaking a coffee table in the heat of it all. But... The three of them make their way to the Skytop hangar, boarding the Fantastic Car. Uh, side note, which we now learn is comprised of four sections, each being able to be flown separately. The you know, little sad dramatic panel here is Sue saying that the Human Torches section of the Fantastic Car has to remain in the hangar while the rest of the family search New York. So they take off and they split up. Sue heads to the center of town, using her invisibility to make the searching easier. She also takes a bit of a break at a diner to get a soda, scaring one of the locals when he sees just a floating straw. (laughs) Reed, on the other hand, he's going with a simpler tactic, ripping ongoing cyclists off their bikes to ask them if they've seen Johnny, but to no avail. Johnny's true whereabouts aren't so distant, though. Less than one mile away, Johnny was working on an engine in Swanson's garage using his flames to wheel the customer's gaskets, and they know that he's being searched for, and they know he's missing, but they're just happy to have him working on their car. The Thing was hunting a little bit smarter than the rest of the team, and he first thinks to search at Johnny's old hangouts. His suspicions were right, of course. As he approaches the garage, he can feel the torch's heat from the other side of the wall, and he breaks it down, 
ready to corner him and teach him a lesson for being a, quote, deserter. Next page, we start chapter two, Enter the Submariner. The chapter starts off with the thing, holding a car above his head and threatening to pulverize Johnny if he doesn't turn his flames off. Johnny, who's backed into a corner now, flames off, but the thing continues to take his aggression out on him, throwing punches while exclaiming, You've always laughed at me because I was ugly. Well, why aren't you laughing now? Suddenly, in the middle of the thing's rage towards Johnny, he turns from stone to flesh again. The thing has returned to Ben Grimm. The human torch flames on, using Ben's distraction as a getaway. But just as we've come to know, Ben Grimm's transformations never last long. And before he could truly bask in his glory, in the blink of an eye he reverts back to the thing, collapsing to the ground in anger. Our focus then shifts to Johnny as he reaches the outskirts of the Bowery, using the crowd and the public of derelicts to camouflage himself. And he wants to find a place to, quote, sack down for the night and rents a cot in a very crowded apartment. Johnny sits up and he begins reading this comic book that he found. And he reminisces about how it's from the 1940s and it features a hero called the Submariner, who was as strong as 10 men and could live underwater. The tenant in the cot next to him takes note of his reading choice, exclaiming that in their apartment there was a bum who claimed to be as strong as him. We see a gentleman across the room sitting alone, minding his own business, long and unkempt hair with an even longer beard on him. The tenant becomes aggressive as he prods this gentleman to show Johnny an impressive act, taunting a phone book in front of him, asking him to tear it in half. Johnny shows sympathy for him and asks these guys to stop and leave him alone. But the gentleman sitting down swats the phone book away forcefully, sending it and the tenant back. Other tenants stand up and attempt to swarm him only to be defeated instantly. Each aggressor was beaten and sent flying across the apartment. And after, the gentleman puts his head in his hands, proclaiming that his memory felt foggy and that he couldn't remember who he was. Meanwhile, the wounded men regroup, with weapons this time, ready to attack him once more. Johnny bravely goes to his side, defending him from the small mob that was ready to pulverize him. Using his flame to groom the man's unkempt hair and beard, he's shocked to see that it's actually the Submariner. And there begins Chapter 3, Let the World Beware. At the very moment that Johnny Storm makes his incredible discovery, the other members of the Fantastic Four are continuing their strange search. A startled helicopter crew is met high in the sky mid-flight by an outstretched reed looking for the Human Torch. He stretches and bends his torso all across New York, latching onto a moving train just to ask its passengers if they've seen a flaming teenager blazing through its skies. Sue Storm is still prowling New York and decides to visit the Bowery, weaving in and out of its people, just narrowly missing Johnny and Namor as they fly into the sky, where Johnny drops him into the sea. The caption says, Once submerged in the mighty sea, a startling change comes over the strange derelict. In one sweeping motion, he hurls his outer garments from him and stands revealed as the legendary prince of the sea, the invincible Submariner. Namor blasts through the sea, remembering his family, friends, and his entire undersea kingdom. As he shoots through the waters towards his forgotten palace, he stumbles on it and finds it all destroyed. The glow of radioactivity enrages him, 
because he knows that although his people could not be harmed by the atomic testing the humans have done, they would have had to flee their burning homes only to be forever lost. Namor walks out from the sea, cursing Johnny for returning his memory to him, claiming that he signed a death warrant for the human race as revenge for what humanity had done to his kingdom. The next page, we start chapter 4, Submariner's Revenge. The next page starts and it reads, No sooner does Namor utter those fateful words than the three other members of the mighty foursome back at their headquarters again, planning their next move. The human torch illuminates the sky with the emergency flare. A smoldering number four trails off towards the waterfront. Despite never wanting to see his three teammates again, he alarms them of the Submariner's threat to destroy the human race. But he fails to convey the level of the threat that the Submariner actually is. He isn't human, Johnny states. No, Namor isn't. His race was old when the stars were young, the caption says, showing Namor diving to the ocean bottom to awaken the deadly Giganto, the largest living thing in all the world. And using the trumpet horn his ancestors buried there centuries prior, it states that hearing the eerie undersea blast with one earth-shaking shrug the undersea behemoth shakes off the sleep of ages and takes stance again using that trumpet horn to guide giganto he leads it to the surface world the behemoth breaches the surface splintering a steamboat in the process the crew narrowly survives able to sound an alarm in the process alerting the military Giganto's presence forces New Yorkers to evacuate and make way for war. The caption reads, Through the now silent canyons of the deserted city, the nation's most powerful weapons are brought into position. Giganto towers over New York as artillery shells detonate all across his enormous mass, but he moves forward yet unstoppable. And as chaos ensues, a cloud of smoke suddenly surrounds the monster. A chemical smokescreen deployed by the Fantastic Car, piloted by Reed Richards. Meanwhile, the Human Torch ambitiously flies towards the beast, but is quickly snuffed out by Giganto's water spout. He plummets to the ground, only to be rescued by Reed's outstretched hands. Namor uses the trumpet horn to push Giganto out of the water and onto the shore. In obeying that sound, Giganto lunges forward, destroying a section of New York in the process. The thing witnesses this nightmare occurring and commandeers a nuclear bomb from the military he ties it to his back and begins climbing his way through the wreckage of giganto's wake climbing to giganto's resting mouth the way an ant crawls into a mansion unnoticed his intention is set to plant that bomb and detonate it but make it out in the meantime slowly warily Knowing that each step might be his last, the thing stalks deeper and deeper inside the gigantic sea creature. Inside Giganto, the thing passes by ancient vessels and wreckage that had crossed the monster's path ages ago. When suddenly, a live monster sprouts up to attack the thing, a living beast swallowed whole by Giganto. The thing wrestles with the foe as the atomic timer ticks down ever so slowly. But the thing races to the mouth's opening, barely making it as the bomb detonates inside Giganto, destroying him and saving New York City and perhaps the world. Reed and Johnny rescue the thing's unconscious body and are confronted by Namor, who says that so long as he has the trumpet horn, he is never beaten, for he can summon any monster from the depths of the sea. 
The horn is miraculously ripped from Namor's hands. An invisible Sue Storm darts away with the horn, still invisible, but is tackled by Namor, who figures out her ruse. As she falls, she's caught by Namor and returns visible. He proposes that Sue take his hand in the, right there in that moment as his wife, and in turn, he'd show the human race mercy. Sue seemingly battles with the question, but before answering, the team arrives to make sure that he never menaces mankind again. Namor threatens them once more, reminding them that with the horn he could unleash an army of undersea beasts to terrorize mankind and drive us out of our cities and back into caves like the cavemen we are. Sue cannot bear the burden and offers herself as his wife, in order to spare humanity. Namor takes her plea as desperate and scoffs at her, reminding her that she would be royalty, a co-ruler of Earth, and a princess. The Thing, Human Torch, and Reed all attack Namor, but to no avail. Having regained his full strength, he is a league above their team. Thinking quickly, the Human Torch flames on and flies 1,000 feet up and begins circling around the Submariner, creating a tornado. The Vortex, powerful, with the suction, pins the Submariner, and not before long, lifts him off his feet, drawing him up into the storm. The Human Torch uses this, guiding the storm over into the sea where he disposes of the Submariner. The trumpet horn gets lost in the mix, falling to the depths of the river, location unknown. Although outsmarted, the Submariner makes a vow to return in the future and defeat the Fantastic Four. And the last caption reads, And perhaps he will be back. But when the Submariner returns, he will have to face the most incredible quartet of humans in all the world. The end. And thus concludes that issue. Now, as I was reading it, I have to admit, it seemed a little dense. But when rereading it and writing out this episode for you guys, I enjoyed it so much. What did you think of this episode? Uh, feel free to leave a comment on the Instagram or the Reddit. Was it easy to follow? Was it dense? Was it too much compacted into one? Did you enjoy the Submariner as a villain? Please feel free to let me know. And stay tuned when we come back for the next episode of Issue 5 where we finally meet my favorite villain, perhaps of all time, Dr. Doom. Thank you so much. I promise I will not wait as long to make episodes this time. And as we figure out the process, I believe I'm getting more comfortable. And I'm just so grateful for anyone who takes the time to listen to these. So I hope you enjoyed. I look forward to meeting with you next time. And stay fantastic. Maybe that won't be the catchphrase, but that's what it'll be until I figure out a better one. <laughs> Bye-bye.